Welcome to Para Pods, City of Parramatta Libraries podcast, where we talk about books, libraries, and everything in between. My name is Nissa, and today I'm here with my colleague Antonia. Hi, everyone. Welcome. So today I'm going to begin with the acknowledgement of country. So today Nissa and I are actually at Wentworth Point Community Centre and Library. So we would like to acknowledge that we are here today on the land of the Darug people. The Darug people are the traditional owners of this land. City of Parramatta Council also acknowledges the present Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who now reside within this area. Thank so, you, Antonia. Nissa, back to you. So classics for young readers. That is the topic for today. Children's literature defies easy categorization. Uh, fairy tales, folk tales, things like these have only really been considered aimed at children in the last few hundred years. Before that, they used to be, I guess, something that all ages were exposed to and enjoyed. So there are stories, though, that have been written with children in mind, specifically, and have had such an influence on other books and other writers that have followed that they become accepted as classics. So what, I guess, is a classic? Antonio, what would you say is one? A book that is spoken about and passed on from generation to generation, I would say. The yeah. story would resonate between the children and their friends or children and their parents and grandparents. That actually is really true. So a classic mm -hmm. is, you know, the longevity thing that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Again, influence, the appeal and the quality. I think you really yep. know, need those things for it to endure oh, over so long. And to that end, uh, we are going to be talking about a mix of, I believe, modern and established classics. And you were going mm -hmm. to introduce them, Antonia. Yeah. So the first one is The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Now this one's by C.S. Lewis, originally published by Geoffrey B.L.E.S. in 1950. The second one we're going to talk about is The Little Prince, by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, translated by Catherine Woods, and it's published by Egmont 2017, with that copy anyway. Uh, the third one is Are You There God? It's Me, Margaret, by Judy Bloom, published by Pan Macmillan, and that one was originally published in 1970. And the last one we're gonna talk about is Hitler's Daughter by Jackie French, and that was published by HarperCollins in 1999. Thank you, Antonia. So, The Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, Antonia, you could probably attest to this as well. It is such a beloved book, isn't it? Oh, of course. And how many times have you read it? Well, the first time I read it, I was very young in primary school, and I read it once after that. Like, I think two weeks after I returned it, I borrowed it again and read it again. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a loser. <laughs> when, when is the when's the last time you read it? Was that the last time? Um, no, I actually reread it again when I was, I think, in high school because we had to do an assignment on it. Mm. Um, but I still enjoyed it as much as I did the first two times. So lovely. Yeah, well, I think, like you, I think I read it as a child and then yeah. read it um, in the last few months as well. And I still really, really loved it. So for those very few of you who don't know the story, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia is a um, it's a book that was published by Clive Staples Lewis or C. S. Lewis as he is um, more well known as, who was a British writer. He was a friend of J. R. R. Tolkien, for example. And the Chronicles of Narnia it started off with the first book, the one that I'm going to talk about. Uh, so that's the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, and it became the first in a series of books. All up, I think there were seven novels, I believe. I think and so. this was, of course, as the first book, considered the first in the series. However, in recent editions, um, it's supposed to be the second 
or it's considered now the second in the series because yeah. a book that was published subsequently, The Magician's Nephew, I guess in the timeline it figures as the first one. Yeah. So in a lot of editions it's considered the second one. Yeah. Regardless, it was the first to be published. <laughs> it did really, really well. And basically it's about these four siblings, so mm -hmm. two boys, um, mm -hmm. two girls, and they are sent to the countryside and they live in this big rambling house and one day, while playing hide and seek, as you do, as as one does, of course, <laughs> as maybe we still do, yeah. um, they well, one of them first of all, one of them to begin with, and then eventually all of them uh, go into this cupboard. So that is the wardrobe that's in the title, and through the wardrobe, wardrobe they go into this separate world, and the world is Narnia, mm -hmm. and then the adventures that they go through happen from there. The book is so magical like it's one of those i don't know if you felt this in tony but as a kid you know how you really part of you believe maybe it's not for all kids but you really strongly believe in magic and magical oh, elements yeah. of like the make believe and yeah you always want to see the world in a different way like i remember as a kid lying down like upside down on the sofa and looking <laughs> up at the ceiling and going wouldn't it be interesting if this was upside down and then yep. imagining that the ceiling was the floor and everything was new from that angle. Yep, I and I love that. that too. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and also like when you have like your toys and like a little scenery and just willing it to come yep. to life because then you would see this little magical world and you'd be like the puppet master oh, and, yeah. um, and you'd be part of this like fantastical mm -hmm. creation. So um, I don't know why, but those memories for me really came back strongly when I was reading this book. Yeah. And I and I love that, that even though, you know, as an adult, you end up reading so much about, say, authors, you end up, um, you know, learning about their, maybe their political leanings or their religious leanings and you see how that reflects in their books and maybe that's a good thing yeah maybe that ruins it for you um that's like true. I know C.S. Lewis was a very committed Christian and that comes into his his books I mean the character Aslan that beautiful lion that you yeah. so your heart breaks when he first dies <laughs> you know that as a Christ-like figure I mean as a yeah. child you don't really have that concept but when no. you grow up and you read you know it's maybe an analogy for this and that and you know, despite all of that, for me, the magic has never gone. Like, even yeah. when I read it a few months ago, I was like, no, I still get it. I still remembered that childlike feeling of magic. Like, going, going through, yeah, going into, into another a world. wardrobe yeah. and then another world. Yeah. And I could almost, I don't know, it was like <laughs> at my fingertips that I could just imagine that happening again or feeling that. It's so, really magical. Actually, I remember the first time I read the book, I think I went home because my brother's a few years younger than me. So I went home on the weekend and you do play. So I set up like a sheet over like a over the side of the bed and I'm like look let's go through under the sheet we're going to go into a different world wow you know so cubby houses really, were really like yeah. I like to do as what yeah. is it about that like mysterious world you just want to like, be in your own world I guess yeah I don't know. kids like to have their secrets too that's true that's true and I think that thing that durability it's it's mm -hmm. it's lasted the test of time like yeah. this book and um and I know these characters as the books go by they go through different and, but there's something about this first book that is just so important. I mean, okay, if you stand back and you examine it, there are a lot of interesting things you could say about it. You could, um, like, I love the setting. So that thing where you go into, a, like, and then this is another thing that harks back to that childhood fascination of going into a big house and exploring the rooms yep. and this unknown world. That is part of the book. So that's something. So you've got that really lovely atmospheric thing, especially because it was raining outside for a lot of the events that takes place when they're stuck mm -hmm. in the house. 
But if you stand back and as an adult sort of look at it and go, okay, there are a few interesting things about it. There's, you know, the sexism in there when Edmund says, oh, just like a girl, she's sulking somewhere when he talks about his sister. <laughs> yeah. You sort of go, oh, Edmund. <laughs> um, it's also interesting for how, like, the author is not afraid of being judgmental of children, which is interesting <laughs> as well. Um, so, you know, the siblings are frequently telling Edmund that he's beastly. Um, and there's, you know, these quaint touches, of course, you know, things for the time when Lucy is proven right. So, you know, Peter shakes her hand. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Um, I love how they keep, you know, I've just noticed we don't use the word shan't often enough. Oh, no, we don't. I was don't. like, oh, we should totally bring that back. I loved it. So you've got these things over there, yeah. um, you know, and you, and you can stand back and sort of examine it from that adult point of view and, um, you know, admire or not like, like you know, not like some of the uh, sexist stuff. Um, or think, may, or maybe think, you could admire some of the no-nonsense stuff, but for me, it still doesn't take away from the charm, though. What about yeah. you? I was going to say, I think um, of that sexism and stuff, I think that's a testament to the time that the book was written and published in, like 1950s, that's a long time ago. And I yeah. think the author's viewpoint was very different from what we have today. Like, today, we're very PC, we need... We like Which a little bit of equality, thing, of course. <laughs> no, of course not. Like we're very open to equality and feminism, and I think that is just not portrayed now. And I think I've noticed through some of the stuff that you just said, like it's very obvious. Yeah. But that doesn't make it a bad book, can I just, just say? Just, just a side <laughs> note about the PC thing. Recently, I read somewhere um, someone was talking about. I think it was a Benjamin Law something he shared on, on Twitter and someone was like talking about like PC culture and political correctness and like that usual negative way and someone said actually, actually it's consequence culture. I'm like oh, I yep. loved that. I, I yep. want to be able to like talk about that at one point. So that was my little segue there. But no you're right. Yeah. But I think in this case sometimes you can't get beyond that because yeah. it is like really in your face but there's so much so there's something so beautiful about the magic in it. Yes. That these sort of things you go yeah okay Whatever. but you still yep. love it. Oh yeah and of course. That just tells you how great it is. Um, yeah, no, just uh, the little things in the story, like even the food. I remember Enid Blyton's food when they were talking about lashings of cream and some of this stuff that was so exotic and old-fashioned English yep. that was completely foreign to what I would yep. have consumed or have ever consumed. Oh, yeah. yep. But I still was drawn in by it. And mm -hmm. even now in this book, they're talking about, you know, um, wonderful tea, like a brown egg, sardines on toast and buttered toast. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's Scrumptious. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it is yeah. still uh, pulled into it. Um, and I, But again, I know I said that he was, I found him like the, well, actually, it's a good thing in some ways. The author isn't afraid of being judgmental mm -hmm. where, they, where he needs to be judgmental. I also like that he's quite no-nonsense as well. And he says, there was a quote, and they made good laws and kept the peace and generally stopped busybodies and interferers and encouraged ordinary people who wanted to live and let live. And I'm like, well, that's, yeah. that's a very modern concept as well. Yeah. Um, very directly put. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so look, um, Chronicles of Narnia, brilliant book. I couldn't recommend it enough. It sold over 100 million copies, translated wow. into dozens of languages, adapted for TV, for film, for stage. Um, you know, story set in a world where they're talking animals, there are all sorts of good and bad beasts, there's magic, it's just everything. So, people, if you have not read it, read it, <laughs> please do so. Antonia, your book. <laughs> now I feel like my book is not as good as yours, but I'm sure it is. So, the book that I'm talking about is The Little Prince. Now, I don't know if you've read it, Nissa, but um, not. it's a classic. I've heard so much about it. 
heard so many good things. I've never heard a bad thing about it, yet I've never read it. I don't know why. Well, but anyway, so I read d- it for the first time. Does it count that I'm about to watch it on stage? We are about to watch it on stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is also a Netflix film, by the way. Oh, Nissa forgot to mention The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe also is a film. It is. Did I not say that? I, no. saw, I thought I said it, it was adapted for film. Oh, sorry. Yes, film. you did. How dare you, <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, anyway continue. Um, so The Little Prince, Nissa and I are going to go and see it uh, very soon on stage, but it has been adapted into a film which is on Netflix. So if you haven't read the book, maybe read the book before you watch the film. Um, it is quite interesting. But anyway, so it's it's a very simple story with a very simple plot. Um, so it's about a pilot who's lost in Sahara Desert after his flying device or plane fails him and that's where he meets an enchanting little prince who has set out to explore other planets. So I guess from that you can take it that the little prince is not from planet Earth, he is from a different planet and um, that's part of the story. Um, so this book was, I really liked it, I didn't really expect to like it but I, I really loved it. Um, so it was very wonderfully illustrated and um, while you wouldn't say that the illustrations were amazing or anything but they add a certain um, element to the story so it's perfect for um, audiences young and old so it was really it was really well written book Uh, so it's written in first person from the point of view of the pilot and it's written so it appears that the pilot is directly addressing us the readers now this makes it a very personal story for us reading um, because you get his opinion you get his view um, you kind of get his inner thoughts and that's part of the um, appeal of the story so it's really good and you can definitely see why it addresses to both a children and a mature age audience so it's really good and I think the main thing that I'm trying to get to by mentioning both audiences is that you if you're a child the view of the story is very different from what um, you'll gain from the story as an adult and I think that's very important to remember as I keep talking about this book because um, there are certain quotes in the book a child would not get there are certain um, events that occur in the book that a child would not see as the way an adult is and I think that really helps to the testament of this book and how um, how it's become a classic I suppose it's very interesting anyway um, as I said before I've never read this book but it's definitely worth the hype um, so this book is actually a metaphor and it's really interesting why it's a metaphor um, so for one the book is beautiful in the way it reveals how adults think in comparison to children so I'm going to give you a number of examples so in the first few chapters there's very simple yet eye-opening um, things that the pilot says. So the pilot mentions that when he's talking about bridge golf politics and neckties, that would make him think that um, that would make any grown-up think he's a suitable, a sensible man um, when he really just wants to talk about snakes. So I think as adults, we think that if you're a sensible person, you really just want to talk about really boring topics like real estate, politics. But here he is, an adult, and he just wants to talk about his favorite animal, a boa constrictor. So that was rather interesting. Um, another example is when the pilot mentions that a house with rosy brick, geraniums in the windows, and doves on the roofs Adults will not understand how beautiful it is until you mention the cost. Now, I don't know if you've come across that, Nissa, but I feel like adults can't appreciate something until you do mention the price. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's also, um, that was very interestingly put. Now, my favourite example is when the pilot mentions meeting a charming little prince who laughed and was looking for sheep, but the adults he speaks to about this do not um, think that the pilot, um, sorry, do not think that the prince exists until the pilot mentions that he's from asteroid B612, which is really interesting um, because the pilot, mention, the pilot mentions that older adults are really into facts, and I think that's very true. So 
really what I'm getting at is that the book made me realize how really boring an adult view of life is. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's so true. When um, I read this book, I actually understood that um, the meaning of this book, like the viewpoint of um, that the author was trying to get across. So, Nissa, I have a quick question for you. Yes. When was the last time somebody asked you what your favorite animal was? Wow, I don't remember. And what about when somebody asked you what did you want to eat for birthday lunch? <laughs> I can't. Or, I can't. Yeah. Okay. or have you ever drawn something for fun lately? No. See, it's Not definitely for years. I used to get in trouble for drawing at the back of my school books, <laughs> textbooks as well. But um, maybe, maybe that scared me into not doing it. Thanks, it's Mom. possible. <laughs> it's possible, but you can kind of see where I'm going, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very different um, way we see the world to the way the children see the world. Mm-hmm. So. That's one aspect of the book that I really like. But secondly, um, I, after I did a bit of a Google search, I actually found out that this book is a metaphor of um, Antoine's relationship and his role in the in World War Two. So there are many parallels. So the central love story of um, the book, sorry, I'm not going to ruin it so much um, for everybody who hasn't read it yet, but there is a bit of a love story between the little prince and a rose. And so supposedly this has been derived from Antoine's relationship, um, his real-life relationship with his wife, Consuelo, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, yeah, so obviously he had a bit of a troubled relationship. Um, he was a pilot, he was an aviator, um, and he was in the war. So he went away to North America, and I think he's demonstrating his longing and his um, sorrow for his long-lost wife. Um, so she's kind of grieving him as well, and that's part of the central um, story of this book. So Antoine um, also... As I mentioned just then, he was a pilot. Um, So he actually did get lost in an Arabian desert for almost a week. Um, So during this week, obviously, he experienced loneliness, hallucinations, impending death. But um, he did also experience love and beauty. And it put into into perspective um, his life and where he was at. And I think he really brought that into the novel. Because you can see um, the way that the pilot talks about the little prince and the way um, he longs for certain things in his life. It's very clear. Um, that he's like kind of grown after that week in the desert, which is really interesting. I mean, a lot of people don't get to experience a week in the desert. So yeah. about you? <laughs> um, also, the men that the little prince meets on his journey, such as a king, astronomer, and lamplighter, are all occupations, and they have actually played a very functional part of Antoine's life. So you can definitely see that he's bringing up um, different parts of his life and his life journey um, into this book. So that's definitely um, this book is definitely a metaphor of his life experiences and what he's been through. So it's very interesting. Um, yeah. And you'd recommend it to? Oh, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Definitely. Um, so before we move on to the next book, there's a few of my favorite quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, some of you may have heard these quotes and not realized they were actually from this book, but it kind of helps you um, see where the author is going. So one of them was, it is only with the heart that one can see rightly what is essential to the invisible eye. So that's a very... Um, That quote is from a very important part of the story. If you read it, you will know. There is another quote that says, to forget a friend is sad. Not everyone has had a friend. And I've really felt that quote because it's true. You don't really realize how many people have a friend or you kind of know, kind of need a friend. So that was very interesting. Um, There is a snake in the book. So this is um, a quote regarding a snake. When the snake says, but I am more powerful than the finger of a king. Did I say that right? But I am more powerful than the finger of a king. So that's what the snake is saying. And um, I guess in the story, you don't actually realize the importance of a snake 
and how little that animal is in port, like in comparison to a king who has so much power. He controls the kingdom, wealth and everything, and the snake's just a little animal. But, um, you know, the snake has all the power in the world if you want him to, and I think he really changes the course of the story towards the end. So that's just word of warning there Uh, (laughs) but also you don't I think it's very inspirational for a child because you don't actually realize that just being someone small and um, someone insignificant you actually have an impact on life and I think as you read the book you realize there's little things that you don't see um, that you really should and my favorite quote which is maybe a bit more personal as I get older but um, my favorite quote was perhaps I am a little like the grown-ups I have had to grow old and I think a lot of us, once you read this book, you kind of notice that you have had to grow up. you kind of forced to grow up, not because you want to, but there are responsibilities thrown upon you and you look at life differently and I think you disregard a lot of things that children say. And I think this book really heightens that, um, you know, we're all here to kind of live, love and eat and experience life in a different way. But I think you can really see that perception that kids' point of view is really different from adults and you really take it for granted. So... Yeah, I think I, stu- I sound probably sound super emotional, but it was a very eye-opening book, and I really, really, really recommend everybody to read it. Lovely. So put it on your to-be-read list, Nessa. Yes, yes. I feel like I realised I was a grown-up when I started. I caught myself talking about the weather far more wow. than I was interested in, so I was like, oh, okay. This, definitely a grown-up. Yeah, definitely a grown-up. <laughs> okay, so the third book. So I'm going to be quick about this one just because um, I really enjoyed it, but... Um, the first one, I think I expended all my energy gushing about that. <laughs> this was also really good. So it's, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Now, it's one of those, th- this book has been around for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. Very, very well-known book. Very popular book. And having not, I actually didn't read it as a child. I only read it recently. But the title was so familiar. I'd come across it so many times in yeah. movies, in other books. Um, so it's one of those ones that are on the, I guess, periphery of your subconscious, but Mm-hmm. You know, um, anyway, so it was written by Judy Bloom. Um, it's about this girl who is, I think she's in year six, and her name is Margaret, as the title <laughs> suggests, and she moves with her parents from the city to the suburbs. Now, as soon as you get into the book, um, I mean, I love the title, I have to say, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. There's something quite, um, like you go, okay, what's in the rest of the story, Yeah. right? Um, so I love how as soon as you read the book, you're immediately launched into the action, like she moves, and it's like this whirlwind of activity. She meets her friend Nancy, and then she meets all these other girls at a new school, and yeah. it's, this, it's just go, go, go from there. Um, I wasn't sure where the God Factor came in, because when you were talking about, when, when you start reading it, uh, you find out her, I think one parent is from a Jewish background, another parent is from a Catholic background, but she has been raised with no faith. And I'm like, oh, well, where's, where's God coming in? Yeah. But then I realised, well, actually, fairly quickly you realised, for her, it's it's almost like Dear Diary. So that's where okay. this God thing comes yep. up. Where she's, that makes sense. She, at the end of the day, or the beginning of the day, she's addressing God, but more in a, you know, a confidant, a, a, a friend, rather than any sort of deity where you sort of, you know, go, well, please, Lord, in this. Yeah. So that's how it goes. And I thought, okay, it's just... Um, an interesting quirk, mm-hmm. right? And that's how the whole book goes, where she's, you know, sending D-diary uh, messages at the end of the day, addressing God. Um, th- towards the end, though, and it sort of creeps up on you, or maybe it just crept over me, um, there's this conversation, like you realise that she's almost auditioning different religions 
up at a certain point, um, going to like temple with her grandmother who gets really um, excited when they go to her synagogue um, <laughs> and who goes, okay, well, she's going to be Jewish now. And then her different friends from different Christian denominations going over there. I think she said she couldn't go to like a Buddhist and a Muslim one because there weren't any people around who had, you know, those places of worship. So she sort of, as the story goes on, I mean, there are a bunch of other things happening, you know, um, because she's sort of moving into those teenage years, there's all this mm -hmm. stuff about, you know, girls, um, uh, you know, congregating together and making lists of boys they like, even though they're not <laughs> quite ready to like them. Um, you know, making a pact to, to buy their first bras, even though they don't need it. Um, so they go through all of that. Um, but then as the story goes along, she's also auditioning different religions and at the end she is sort of like, um, you know, I think I'm just gonna just continue on as I am. And if I feel anything, then I'll feel something. But I just thought it was, it, it wasn't something that was, I mean, God's there in the title. I don't know yeah. if people think it's gonna be a religious book. It's not really, but I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because it's, like I said, it, she treats, it's a dear diary sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about, I guess, being exposed to different faiths, I guess. Um, and seeing some of the good things she likes, some of the things she doesn't perhaps like, but at the end going, you know, I'm not quite ready to make a decision yet. Um, and it's a great way, I think, of illustrating to kids that are reading it that, you know, I guess have a think for yourself. Yeah. And also what's in common with them and sort of going, well, I don't know. Like, there's a, <laughs> the, as in religion, it's interesting to show that religion doesn't have to be inherited. Yeah. Because she comes from two different backgrounds and her parents weren't religious. And that was, I think, a point of contention between the parents. Not that the book dwells on it, yep. but it's to show, look, you can have a relationship with another being, I guess, in, mm -hmm. a, in a different way that doesn't have to be mediated through, I guess, rituals and yep. traditions. And I don't know, that's at least how I took it. Yep. But otherwise, it's just a good story. If you ignore all of that, God is just, you know, dear diary. That's, that's what it is, basically. And <laughs> yep. it's just a story about a young girl who moves to the suburbs, makes a lot of friends, goes to school, um, you know, buys her first bra in a in a um, fabric called Dacron. I'd never heard of that. I looked it up. It's like a polyester it. fabric. Oh, if you look it up now, it talks about it in um, for like making. It's not talked about in a fashion context. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if it was like fleetingly like a, a fashionable fabric back in more than forty years ago, yeah, and now it's used for something else because it's not talked about in a. Um, oh in a fashion sense. So I found that, you know, that that's quite interesting. interesting. Yep. And it's one of those things you read, something said in the past, those little quirks that jump out yep. at you. Like um, there was a, there was a, like going to church and her friend, or she, I'm forgetting who, and th these are year six kids wearing white gloves, a hat, wow. and a suit, and they had a pocketbook. Now, <laughs> I was thinking, what is a pocketbook? I know I've come across it so many times in books, but I was like, you know what, I want to look at what is a pocketbook? A pocketbook? is either a notebook, mm -hmm. which is how it's understood, I think, in the UK, possibly, yep. listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, and in America, it's understood as a handbag. Oh. I'm like, wow, there's, um, that's a little interesting, quaint little detail there. The names are all very old-fashioned, like Margaret, another friend yep. called Nancy. You don't really see these yep. names come up now, Not so anymore, it's an yeah. interesting um, window into the past, like her mum giving her a cream rin rinse so she wouldn't get tangled, so I'm like, well, oh. you could also just become conditioner, but I guess that was... Yep. <laughs> Um, Back in the yeah. Day. Anyway, it was look. It was a just nice coming of age book. I guess it's it's aimed at 
just before high school, I would say, but it bleeds in a little bit into that territory. Okay. So it's that stage where, you know, girls are sort of... A preteen? Well, approaching puberty. Yeah. You know, oh, they, yeah. like some of the characters, they're waiting to get their first period. So you've got yep. that very beginning over there. They're mm-hmm. just starting to notice guys, but it's it's that age, you know, on the cusp of like yep. moving into um, proper teenage years. So I, I feel like you're talking about... Um, the girl margaret like she's finding herself and i feel like that's something we've touched upon with the other young adult books where the main character is finding herself or himself yeah and i feel like it's a testament to that age kind of group that they're lost and they're exploring things yeah but i I also feel like it's it could be young adult but it also is it's on that cusp of being junior as well which is why we've put it in the junior collection so i i find those ones really interesting where they could sort of go either way Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Good Interesting. Book. I would definitely recommend it to people. Quick question. You yes. did talk about the pocketbook, but do you know if Judy Bloom is a British or American or Australian? I feel like I should know that, but I don't. <laughs> do you know what? I think, I have a feeling she's American, but um, mm-hmm. this book was first published in the UK, I think in 1978. Oh, I want to say she's American. I, look, the book was set in America. I don't know if I made that obvious and now i'm furiously flicking through the book (laughs) while i've got the listeners uh, and i'm furiously googling um so judy bloom is american well there you go there we go so that means a a handbag a little baggie it must be that yeah it must be a handbag rather than a notebook that would make sense you know (laughs) taking a handbag to church rather than a notebook (laughs) yes so, Hitler's Daughter by Jackie French. Um, so, this was a rather interesting book uh, for me personally, but I did enjoy it. So, the story is about um, the characters. So, the story is actually told through the characters Anna, Mark, little Tracy, and along with their um, bus buddy Ben. So, the four children are waiting at the bus stop for the school bus. And to pass the time, they swap stories and play games as you do when you're a young kid. So one day while they're waiting for the bus, um, one of the main characters, Anna, she begins to tell a rather engrossing story about Hitler's secret daughter. Now, Hitler's daughter is lucky. And through this novel, uh, concepts of the Holocaust, Nazis, rise and fall of power, good, evil and truth are all touched upon. Now, um, there is a great Australian link through this book to such a significant historical event um so that is why i chose this book but um just fyi hitler's daughter is actually part one of a series of books so just if you're interested before i begin um the other books in the series are pennies for healer and goodbye mr healer i have read all of them they were really good (laughs) um so anyway the first book here is um so a bit of background about this book this is the second time i've read this book possibly the third time Uh, The first time I did read this book, it was when it was first released and I was very young in primary school and it was actually recommended to me by my school librarian and I was very excited and I really liked this book because I really thought it was real. Now that's just a testament to the way it was written. Um, So that was one of the first times I learned actually that there was a genre called historical fiction. So that is part one of why this book is really special to me Um, because I do go on to... um, I do read a lot of other um, historical fiction books, but this is probably that first step into that um, story. Anyway, so this novel works its magic through parallel storylines. So you have Anna, the storyteller and the owner of the book, um, and you notice her story becomes the story of the author. So she's kind of the conduit of the story. So that's really interesting. And then you have Mark, the other character, and you notice how he becomes aware of elements 
of the story that Anna is telling. And as a result, he questions certain things in his life, such as family, adults, um, good and evil, and certain aspects of um, history and why things were done that the way that what they were. And um, throughout this book, you can feel Mark grows as a person and you really notice his thoughts and the way his thoughts are going. So I can definitely see why this book was actually written for younger children um, because they can definitely relate to Mark and I'm sure you can see them asking similar questions to um, him. And one thing that really stood out for me was that um, Mark actually questions what he would do if his father were really evil, so if he was actually um, the child of Hitler. So that's very interesting because you kind of see where his thoughts are going, why, what he would do, and um, he kind of questions not the war or anything, but just himself as a person in a position, um, in a powerful position. So I think that's really interesting. Um, and you can definitely see that he's trying to recognise what is truly good, what is evil, and is there really a true good and evil. And so he's really coming to terms with it. So that's, I think, very interesting and rather important. And I think for younger children who read this book, they're probably um, grasping the same sense of learning and understanding. So that's um, rather interesting. Um, so this novel, this novel is really significant because there is something special about the way it actually highlights the importance of storytelling. So it gives a reader a chance to reflect on why stories are told, how they are developed and told, and also what is the purpose being achieved by storytelling. So you can definitely see um, that this book kind of embraces the art of storytelling, but also the um, really importance of why a story is told. There is definitely a reason. It could be a bad reason, a good reason to tell a family secret, um, to tell a bit of history. So that's definitely, um, it's a very big impact on the story. Um, so it's very significant and you can see that through the history and the historical way um, it's told. So it's done very uniquely and very subtly. So you don't really notice that it's a story being told in a story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a very, I'm trying so hard to explain this book without giving away the ending. So bear with me. Um, anyway, so despite this novel being read by me for the second, third, maybe fourth time, I ended it um, asking myself the same questions as I did the first time. So the first of which was, did Hitler really have a daughter named Heidi? So I googled it, I googled it maybe four times, I didn't come up with much. But um, so it's actually something where you can see that there's so much historical facts throughout a novel, you kind of question, is it a real story or is it actually made up? And um, because Anna at the end, she does say that the story is just pretend, but really is it just pretend? So you kind of question it. And I think that puts you in a different frame of mind because there are stories that um, I'm sure you've heard or like you've read on the internet. So it's putting you in that frame of mind, questioning stories, but also embracing that the fact is being told through a story. Um, so personally for me, after I did read this book the other week, I began to question my own family and family history. Um, because Anna was so lucky to have this story, supposedly story, told to her by her grandmother, um, she began to question whether it was real or not. I was actually fortunate enough to be able to ask my grandparents about their family history and things like that. Now, um, this might be quite a sensitive topic because 10, 20, 30 or 40 years ago, there were things that were considered too taboo to actually talk about from your grandparents. And I think that this story actually um, covers that concept really well because World War II was actually something a lot of people's grandparents or great-grandparents don't actually talk about. There are things that they've seen, heard or been through that they don't want to discuss. And I think this story is really good in the way that it opens up the importance of talking about such significant events. So it's done really well. So even I think 
that being able to tell a colourful narrative is better than losing a piece of history. And I think that was really important and I really appreciate the way that it was told. So it was really good. Um, so clearly I'm really, I really, really like this book. Um, so I'm a fan of historical fiction, so I've also recommended some novels for you if you would like to read on. Um, so The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak, if you enjoyed that book, read this one. Once by Morris Glatzman. All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr and The Boy in the Striped Pajamas by John Boyne. So that last one was actually really sad too. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is my second classic. So that's a modern day classic and I think everyone should read it. Thank will you, Antonia. Will you read it, Nissa? Um, I will try. Look, I always, I always have the best of intentions, but I can't always guarantee that I will read it. But I will promise to make an effort, let's just say that. <laughs> I think the best thing actually about classics for young readers is that they're relatively short and I think that makes you enjoy the book a lot more than being put down with a 400-page novel that you really don't want to read. Except in the case of Harry Potter. Oh, Always. Harry Potter surpasses anything, I'm that's, sorry. That's true, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Okay, so that was us with four classics um mm -hmm. or you know some of them classics some classics in the making and then a bunch of other ones that antonia has also mentioned yep. thank you so much antonia um as our resident children's librarian expert <laughs> anytime <laughs> talking about these books um for listeners if you'd like to download more episodes of parapods you will find us on podbean the app you may find us on apple podcasts or through google play we will be back soon enough i'm sure with mm -hmm. another episode we'll talk to you next time goodbye bye